Hey everyone, welcome to Just Mental Health with Steph and M, the podcast where we discuss mental health from a social justice lens. I'm Emily. And I'm Stephanie. A quick disclaimer before we get started, we are mental health professionals, but this is not to be taken as professional advice. We are also aware that our privilege may cloud our perspective on some topics and we not only welcome, but encourage you to message us with criticism and correction. Let's get started. So our uh, small business shout out this week is a friend of mine. Her name is Shiley. Shiley guides you on how you can be unforgettable to your referral network by bringing your reputation online. She loves cutting down the shiny object syndrome. I like that of choices her clients have when it comes to marketing. She teaches you how to give your network the information they didn't know they needed about your business. Though she shines on LinkedIn, a lot of what she shows her clients is not platform dependent and can be used no matter the platform. She has coached over 200 clients one-on-one and in groups. One of her clients described her as meets them where they are and takes them where they want to go. So if you would like to take your LinkedIn profile to the next level and attract the clients and relationships you want, sign up to get her favorite LinkedIn profiles at yoursocialmediasherpa.com. So yoursocialmediasherpa, S-H-E-R-P-A.com. Cool. So that is very cool. So go ahead. And it looks like you can even... um, uh, send her a voice or text message as well on the website if you want to get in touch with her quickly or you can um, sign up to get uh, you can submit your name and email on the website lots of stuff you can do on the website so definitely keep that in mind if you're looking for any of those services And we will, as usual, add that to our posts on Instagram. So now let's go ahead and move on to our topic. Today, we're going to be talking about the myth of the connection between mental illness and mass shooters. Um, So we wanted to talk about this because uh, obviously mass shootings are an extremely tragic thing that happened way too often and uh people don't really understand them and uh people want to uh make it about mental illness and um there's just so much misinformation that is caught up in that uh that discussion that we want to see if we can um talk about today so um something I wanted to share that I listened to in another podcast um, that I thought uh, summed up a a significant point about this conversation. This podcast is called Inside Mental Health. It's a podcast by Psych Central. And um, they had a guest, Dr. John Grohl. Um, So he shared that there was a study uh, from the National Council Research Panel that said that mass shooters share a set of characteristics. And those characteristics include male, males who have feelings of hopelessness, grievances, 
frequently related to work, school, finances, or interpersonal relationships, a feeling of being victimized, and they sympathize with others they perceive to be similarly mistreated. They have a general indifference to life and don't mind dying by suicide. Um, so you often hear, you know, that the mass shooter shot a lot of people before shooting themselves um, is a... Uh, something that often happens. Um, so the thoughts I had about that were um, what's listed there, sure, those are mental health issues, um, but those are not diagnosable mental illnesses. Right. A person that has feelings of hopelessness or grievances toward an interpersonal relationship or feels like they're being mistreated. Those are feelings and like mm -hmm. very valid feelings, but they're not a mental illness. Um, mental health issues is not the same as a diagnosable mental illness. Also, this is correlation, not causation. Yeah. Um, so some may not know what that means. So uh, like a, a classic example to explain that is uh, as ice cream sales go up, murders go up. Does that mean ice cream causes murders? I'm talking about ice cream again. <laughs> Always ice cream. <laughs> but that was like, that's a class, like people use that to yeah, explain Yeah, they, they would say that all the time in grad yeah. school. And yeah. Like, Why is this always the one we go to? But yeah. But um, obviously ice cream sales do not cause murder. It is because uh, more people buy ice cream in the summer and more murders happen in the summer. And, and there could be lots of different reasons for that. Right. That yeah. And that with ice cream. Warm yeah. weather causes, I mean, right. I think it's like warm weather causes people want ice cream. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> sure. so like, that's not to say warm weather causes murders. Um, so all of these, most, the vast majority of these mass shooters share these characteristics. That's not to say that these characteristics cause the mass shootings because how many people in the world feel or at some point in their lives have felt exactly how this is describing and right. don't kill people. We see um, lots of people every day. That's our job. People that mm -hmm. have interpersonal relationship issues or feel hopeless or feel slighted in some way, or, you know, have these feelings of maybe they feel like they're an outcast. Um, we see those people every day and they do not go on to harm anyone, mm -hmm. um, let alone do something like a mass, a mass shooting, which is quite the, I mean, it's just on the extreme of violent crime. It is way, way, you know, towards the end to do something like that. And when you said like, they oftentimes don't care whether they live or die, they go in with the plan of either killing themselves or being killed. Um, you know, that's knowing that in the process of killing these people that right, it's going to happen. Dead. Like yeah. they know, they know they don't plan to get away with it. That's usually not yeah. which so kind of, okay. Switching gears a little bit with that is, because they don't plan to get away with it, they plan to die. Only a very small amount of mass shooters have lived after they've 
committed their crimes. And because of that, it makes it really hard to study people that do mass shootings because when the person that you need to study typically dies, right. Then everything that you're looking at is it's really hindsight. And it's a lot of speculation. You obviously can't interview them and ask them what's going on. So the data that we have on mass shooters is not as much as we would on other types of violent offenders. Um, And I think that contributes to some of the misinformation about what causes these things. And so, like Mm -hmm. you said, mental health issues and mental diagnosable mental illness are different things. We all have mental health issues. And uh, you had said earlier when we were talking about this, 5% of the population, is that what you said, have mental illness? 20%. Oh, one in five. Okay. I was like, yeah, that does not, that seems way too low. Have diagnosed plenty who go undiagnosed. So the number of of people who actually have mental illness is, is, is more pretty much definitely even know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if mental illness was the contributing factor to these sorts of crimes, there would be a lot more. Right. And, and you see all these um, headlines, like I saw a headline that said one third of mass shooters have a mental illness. Well, what at, at the very least, mm-hmm. one fifth, like most, like I said, most likely more mm-hmm. of the population, probably about one third in general have a mental illness. So, so to say that, you know, it's just all these misleading headlines that's just perpetuating this. Right. Thing. And what is the mental illness? What is it? Anxiety, depression, you know, or it, do they have a, what we typically call a severe mental illness, which we can talk about that for a minute is usually when we talk about severe mental illness, we talk about people that have mental illness that cause um, like psychotic episodes or hallucinations or delusions. So you typically would think of people with schizophrenia or a paranoid personality disorder or, um, you know, really severe bipolar disorder where they may lose touch with reality that's a severe mental illness, quote unquote, because there are a lot more risk associated for that person with that mental illness. And when I say risk, I mean to themselves. So, um, to one, themselves. Sorry, I just wanted to read. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you unfortunately, if you have a severe mental illness, you are more likely to be the victim of a crime than to mm-hmm. commit. A violent crime. Nonviolent crime is a little different, but a violent crime, you are more likely to be the victim. You're also more likely to harm yourself than anyone else. And so um, in doing some research on this, because I had always been under the impression that, uh, you know, hearing about these things, I'd always thought, well, obviously, you know, mental illness is not the cause of this. But then I was like, do I really have enough like evidence to support that? Or do I just believe that? So I went looking at um, different studies that had been done. And some of the things that they pointed out 
was, um, okay. So mass shootings by people with serious mental illness represent less than 1% of all yearly gun related homicides. In contrast, deaths by suicide using firearms account for the majority of yearly gun related deaths. The overall contribution of people with serious mental illness to violent crime is only about 3%. When these crimes are examined in detail, an even smaller percentage of, of them are found to involve firearms. And then it says, um, well, we'll get to that in a minute. It says people with, oh, now I can't find it people with severe mental illness are more likely to use firearms on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so suicide by firearm than to use it on anyone else. And so the majority of firearm related deaths that are caused by people with mental illness, they're also the victims. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's to just sort of put it as, okay, well, it's a gun issue and it's a mental illness issue. It's just not, we're not, it's just not accurate. There's so many more things contributing to this. Of course, neither of us are experts on this, but we are mental health professionals and we, we do, um, you know, keep up with what's going on in the world. Yeah. Working knowledge of, of these yeah. things. Yeah. And I mean, this is all just very like tainted by the stigma, uh -huh. you know, because, um, and, and it's very, I mean, people with mental illnesses are in danger. Like you said, they're more likely to be harmed, whether that's by themselves or by others than they are to harm others. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it's ableism. Like people with mental illnesses are not advocated for enough in, in our, our society. And then you have all of these, these people that are um, blaming mental illness on mass shootings. That's just, you know, ostracizing mm -hmm. these people even more when really what they need is help in order to keep themselves protected rather than mm. keeping others protected. And it just steers away from the issue of people with severe mental illnesses need, need help for themselves. Like it just, it steers mm -hmm. away from, from the actual issue. Right. And so, you know, of course this is not to say that there are no mass shooters or no violent offenders with mental illness. Cause obviously that's not true, you know? Um, but th there it's not the majority of them and, um, people with mental illness who tend to be more violent are, it's all, it's usually more of a, um, interpersonal violence and not a, you know, mass terroristic sort of thing. They're right. not planning, you know, because when you think about the things we know, what we do know about um, mass shooters is there is a lot of planning 
involved prior. So usually it takes a long time for them um, to kind of work up to committing this crime. There's a lot of fantasy involved. There is a lot of planning, getting the supplies, preparing sort of for their death, what they, you know, they assume they're going to die. So they plan for it, writing a manifesto, you know, things like that. Um, It's a slow burn sort of thing. And people with severe mental illness typically cannot, if it's that severe, cannot maintain it in that way. There, so if we're talking about someone with, you know, severe schizophrenia or something that is lost touch with reality is unable to plan mm-hmm. a, a, a crime of this scale because that sometimes they can't even remember to take their medicine or they can't remember their doctor's appointments mm-hmm. or they get lost where they're going because, you know, if it's that severe, they're not planning these things that far ahead that takes a certain level of of being grounded with reality and forefront to be able to plan something like this Uh uh-huh and it's it's a like it's i mean this severe mental illnesses are like they're episodic like that you have Mm -hmm. an episode yeah and in that episode you're you're probably more likely like scared for for yourself Mm -hmm. like in that episode what what you're most likely thinking about is oh my god I'm having an episode how do I make it stop yeah you're not thinking about how do I go and kill multiple people right you know that's it's just not where your it's just not where your mind is right and so um I'd kind of mentioned this I think before on this podcast when I had worked, um, in a psychiatric hospital. Um, my job before the one that I have now, I was there mm, six months, but I worked in the, uh, what we called the severely mentally ill unit. And the patients that went there were patients who were having psychotic breaks. Um, so very few of them, were um, connected to reality. Very few of them could tell you what day it was. Um, I mean, these were people that were in the middle of a severe, extreme mental health episode. And they often, it was often was the same people. We saw them a lot. And that sort of kind of, you know, touches on how we take care of those with mental illness and the homeless population and, and things like that. But um There was a lot as well, as far as them being violent, very, very rare. Were they violent towards anyone? Um, Most of the time it was if anyone ever had to be like sedated or put into the quiet room, which is a misnomer because nobody's quiet in the quiet room. Um, But, and that's a whole nother thing about how we treat psychiatric patients. But anyways, if they had to be sedated um, with some Ativan, Benadryl, Halidol, a nice little cocktail of that, which will knock you out for 12 hours, most people, um, it was because they were either trying to harm themselves or they could not be calmed down and they were um, 
harming property. Very rarely were they attacking anyone else. There was maybe one or two that that tried, but it was very easy to stop. And that was mostly because they were, they felt that that person was threatening them. Mm -hmm. So every, at least from my experience there, every person that was having a psychotic episode and attacked anyone else was already afraid. They already thought that person was trying to hurt them. So it was more of a defensive thing. Right. There was no just like walking in and being like, I just hate this person. I'm going to mess with them. Uh Uh-huh. And like you said a few minutes ago, it's that one person in that one room. It's not like they're scheming to murder multiple people. And I remember you um, had to learn a bunch of holds. Yeah. Right? Thankfully yeah. I never had to use them as the, right, exactly. You never had to use them. And that was, but I, I saw some takedowns. Like, I'm not going to lie. There were some people that were usually, and okay, let's, I'll just be real with you. Yeah. There were a lot of people with severe mental illness, but the ones that had the most difficulty and needed the most uh, interaction from the staff were the ones who were using drugs. So that's really a whole nother thing the most of the violent ones were the ones that were using drugs. Yeah. Um, so that is a little different, but they were under the influence. And once the drugs were out of their system, they were not violent to anybody. They kept to themselves or they were actually very friendly and nice. Um, but yeah, so it was usually, and there were some staff that got hurt in the scuffle, but um, it just wasn't what you would expect when you hear a severe mental illness unit. It, it wasn't like I walked around there, you know, all the time, not concerned for my safety at all. Never concerned that anyone was going to yeah. hurt me. Um, and if mass shooters, mass people became mass shooters as a result Mm -hmm. of mental illness you would think that we would hear more mass shootings in psychiatric hospitals but we never hear we never hear about a mass shooting that happened in in a hospital i mean i how could they get a gun in there i mean maybe but like still um people would try but it was not like you were it was hard to sneak stuff in and um I mean, there were people that tried, but also, and that was the other thing, like some people would come in with guns and they would get confiscated. And I remember some of the staff being like, well, why, why is this person allowed to have a gun? Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, they have these issues. And I'm like, well, cause first of all, like you have the right to have a gun in Kentucky. Like that's, that's the law. They can have it. There's no reason they can't have it. They're not a violent offender. They have no felony their right has not been taken away from them. We're just holding the gun while they're in the hospital. They get it as soon as they leave. And so for some people that was scary to think like, Oh, they're, but by the time they left, they were out of that episode or they were back on their medication and they were going to the next thing that they needed to do. It wasn't like we let anyone leave in the middle of a psychotic episode. I have a, I have a question. Mm -hmm. I'm in in um your take on so um 
what we're talking about is what, what we've been talking about is more mental illnesses that are more episodic. Mm-hmm. Um, but illnesses such as personality disorders is a personality disorder, which means mm-hmm. it's always there day to day and it's not so much episodic. So I could see someone saying, well, what about those with antisocial personality disorder? Wouldn't they, which, you know, I, I don't know, sociopath, is that, is that the Yeah, that's thing? what, yeah, most okay. of the time. Um, would a person with antisocial personality disorder be able to plan and, and come up with a plan to do a mass shooting in the way that you described that most people with mental illnesses? I think that would depend on their level of functioning. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people, well, I know there are people with antisocial personality disorder that could do that. I mean, um, you know, when you talk about serial killers, a lot of them fall under that sort of diagnosis, but there's also a lot of people with antisocial personality disorder that don't have any desire to harm other people. They might just, it might, you might see a lot of maybe um, nonviolent offenses or drug charges or something in their history. They're not out there trying to plan to kill a whole bunch of people. They don't care about people enough. You know what I mean? That's kind of the whole point. And they're like, I don't want to deal with people. So I'm going to keep to myself. There were people there that, um, that had antisocial personality disorder and they were, well, at least this one person that I'm thinking about, he was violent only until, only until the cops came. (laughs) Like he was, he would be really aggressive and the cops would show up and then he would change his tune. And I, I feel like that was sort of, he was more like showing off anyways. Um, he wasn't really the kind of person that was like going to plan an attack on anybody. He was just trying to get what he wanted in that moment. So I don't know. I, it all depends on functioning. Cause if you think about to plan something like a mass shooting takes a, a lot. Like we had just said a lot of planning. It takes time. It's a slow burn. You have to have a level of patience to be able to do that. Um, And so it's not really an impulse thing either. And when we talk about people with these personality disorders or severe mental illness, a lot of the issue is the impulse control. This Mm -hmm. is not an impulsive thing, usually, Mm -hmm. very rarely. It's something that's planned. Mm -hmm. So an impulsive thing might be a, a bar fight, you know, but you're not months gathering guns and weapons and and making a bomb or or you know deciding how you're gonna enter a school to kill anyone like it's just it that's not what the trend is um and so there were a lot of kind of gonna get off this topic in a minute but one of the things that I had to do when I worked at the hospital was a duty to warn and so what that is is if you are a mental health professional and somebody makes a threat, a specific threat to a person or a group of individuals, um, you have an ethical obligation that's called a duty to warn. And in the hospital, I've never had to do this out in any outpatient, 
But in the hospital, we got a lot of people that would come in and would say, I'm going to kill this person. I'm going to shoot this person when I get out, blah, 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 blah. And it was almost like it kind of got to the point, the culture there was sort of like we all kind of rolled our eyes and was like, yeah, sure you are, because it never happened. (laughs) Like by the time they got out, you know, they were not in the middle of that episode. Like I said, they were on medication. They had gotten some sleep. The drugs were out of their system. They were like, no, I would never do that. I remember saying that, you know, um, but we still had to make a duty to warn. So we'd have to call the local uh, police department where they were being released to and say, just let you know, this person came in on this day. They're being released on this day. Um, They are, we'd have to give, Uh, their name. And we'd have to say that's a, you know, like a white male, six, two English speaking, whatever, you know, it's a basic demographics. Um, And then we'd say, this is the threat that they made. And the person, usually it was like the receptionist would take it and be like, all right, cool. Thanks. (laughs) And that was it. And it got to the point I'd have to do so many of them because I worked on the unit where everyone was making threats. I'd have to do so many of them. And this person expressed that they're going to go home and they're going to kill their mother. And the cop was like, all right, let me ask you some information. And like, it was so mundane and nothing ever happened. Like they never did anything about it. They weren't checking up on these people They sometimes it was the same people over and over again because they were often coming back in for help and they were like, yeah, we know this person. Yeah, this is like the third one this month that we've had to, you know, Um, and they just didn't, it wasn't a serious threat in their eyes. And so I don't know that kind of, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's not like the police know that there's people that make threats all the time and don't do anything about it. But also what if somebody was serious? We're not taking it seriously. What if somebody had made a threat and then got out and was like, yeah, everything's fine. And you're like, okay, cool. You know, take your meds, stay away from drugs. It'll be okay. And they're like, all right, cool. And then they go and do it. I mean, we still had to make, you know, we still had to warn um, and make a report, but I don't know what right. the, the police yeah. were not following up on these things. You know what I'm saying? Like they were just like, Oh, whatever it happens. And it does. I mean, yeah, like it, it probably, if, yeah, if they are getting those calls so often and, and also the thing to note here in regard to our topic is that you never once correct me if I'm wrong, had someone say, I want to go out and shoot tens of hundreds of people like it yeah, was no. like I have this it was always an individual right that had this urge to hurt one person and then they don't act on it right yeah one time somebody made a threat against Taylor Swift no lie and I had to call Taylor Swift's manager no lie no. yes oh my and, god and had to talk <laughs> to him <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. For real. Um, and I had to be like, this person came in and made a threat. He, he, be- well, I didn't tell him this cause I couldn't, but 
the story was he believed that Taylor Swift was in love with him and was sending him messages. Um, and then I guess something had happened and apparently she broke his heart some way. So, and this man had never had any interaction with Taylor Swift at all, but, um, so he made a threat against her. So we had to call the manager. And of course the manager was like, why can't you tell me who this person is? And I'm like, because of HIPAA laws. And he's yeah. like, well, how am I supposed to protect her? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't make the rules. I can't tell you who he is. I can just tell you someone made a threat. Nothing yeah. happened. You know what I mean? The guy felt better. He left. We never saw him again. Nothing was on the news about an attack on Taylor Swift. Yeah. There was lots of against the president and secret service would have to come in and interview these people and um, just a sort of like, you know, routine. And so there was a lot of times we'd see, you know, secret service in and, and we'd have to escort them to the patient and sit with them. And when the men in black suits show up, you know, people are like, no, I don't, I love the president. I don't want to kill him at all. <laughs> like, you're like, that's not what you said 24 hours ago, but okay. <laughs> but no, they weren't, nobody was serious. You know, it was just, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so like, you know, like we said, like we're hearing all of these empty threats against individuals, yet there's this myth that's being perpetuated that mentally ill people commit mass, mass murders. And, um, it's just not true. So like, you working in this, um, you working in this population where you see, and none of these, these people didn't stay for very long. No. They stayed until they were stable. Like three so days. You saw a lot of people with severe mental illness and not once did you get a threat of a mass, of a mass shooting. Um, no, and I'm sure it does happen. So I'm sure there's clinicians listening that are like, I've had that happen, but that's always going to be a possibility. When we look at these people that have actually gone through with it and have actually done these mass shootings, they're not seeking out mental health services. And I think that is a big difference. The people that are getting help for their mental illness know, okay, something's not right. I don't want to hurt anybody, even though I'm having these thoughts and they're trying to get treatment. And the people that do want to hurt people and don't seek out help, you know what I mean? There's, there's a big difference there. Um, yeah. Being and aware that you have some sort of uh, hallucination or psychotic disorder and, and not being aware or, just feeling like really a sense of entitlement mm -hmm. to certain things. And that's why you feel slighted against different groups yeah. of people. Right. That's where I was just going to go mm -hmm. that we, we, we need to talk about the bigotry involved mm -hmm. in uh, mass shootings because it is often targeting black people more recently, I mean, not, not it's not the first time that I was going to say more recently Asian people but it's not that's not the mm -hmm. first time but um that's this is it's getting talked about more um sex workers with that yeah. the recent incident um there was the shooting there's been shootings at synagogues Jewish people um you know that there's um 
so that's that's another piece of it like where it said like grievances like often people who commit mass murders are um have grievances or feel like they're being victimized or mistreated and a lot of them Mm -hmm. uh you know vast majority are male um mostly white um have this belief that a certain group of people, black people, Asian people, women, Jewish people Mm -hmm. are mistreating them or um, like this group of people has taken something from them or um, have just some some sort of deep-seated hatred toward this group of people and therefore want to commit mass murder against against um these people and bigotry is not a mental illness Mm -hmm. so again like is this yet another another um point to demonstrate that mental illness is is not is not the driving force yeah yes exactly there i think when you look at what you had read earlier about the things we know that mass shooters all have in common, like you had said, there was no diagnosable mental illness in any of that. Those were all things that anyone can feel at any time. Um, so I think the, we need to be looking at not what, what are their diagnoses are or um, their, even their access to guns. We need to be looking at, what was the motivation behind that? What were they trying to say by committing a crime like this? Cause usually they're trying to say something, even if it's yeah. I'm angry, you know, <laughs> like. I think needing to look at, I, I mean, I think you would agree with this, that looking at the gun laws and looking at the, uh, what the root of the problem is. Mm -hmm. Um, it does. And that's another thing that I really want to say is that it doesn't have to be one of the other, one or the other. A lot of people want to be like, well, you can say, I'll make all these gun laws, but like the root of the problem is like, it's actually caused by this or it's caused by this. It's caused by this. Okay. But like, sure. But people wouldn't be able to carry out whatever the cause is the action that is caused by whatever the cause is if they didn't have a gun. So until we get can get to the root of the problem, we need to change the gun laws because getting to the root of the problem is going to be a long process. Um, another point, uh, given that the vast, vast majority, majority of mass shooters are males, how much of a role is toxic masculinity mm-hmm. playing in this? Um, so, you know, we know that toxic masculinity, the culture um, leads men to not seek help. Um, so those that are feeling hopeless or have grievances or feel victimized aren't going to tell anyone. They're not, they, they're, uh, men are often shamed for sharing their emotions. Men are often socialized to be more aggressive, to mm-hmm. deal with their emotions by being aggressive. Um, so that's yet another component to this that's worth mentioning. Yes. Yes, definitely. Like 
percent, I think, are committed by men, which is a huge amount. So um, we need we definitely need to be talking about the it's fact that almost 100, like 96 percent is like basically 100. Well, it's very. Yeah, it's very yeah. close. Yeah. And yeah. so we need to be talking about, well, the one thing that we know they all have in common is that they are male. So mm-hmm. why? What is the correlation between that? Nobody wants to talk about that because, <laughs> um, you know, nobody wants to admit that um, men may have a problem with their aggression. But yeah, it's access when we talk about like mental health reform and stuff and access to mental health services, preventative mental health services. Um, less stigma around it would obviously help in a lot of different ways. And, and addressing toxic masculinity would help in a lot of different ways. Maybe it would reduce some people. Um, maybe it would catch some people from, from committing these, these crimes. Um, and then on the other side, you know, um, closing a lot of the loopholes in how you can buy guns would help. Um, but again, it's, I, I think that's really oversimplifies a lot of the issue as well. I think some of it is a cultural thing because we mm-hmm. see there's so many of it in America um, or in the US. And so why is that? What is it about our culture that is contributing to this issue, mm-hmm. to this level of violence. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think um, absolutely that the um, addressing these things, addressing the laws is imperative, but it's not, it's not the whole picture. Yeah, um, right. And there is the cultural, the cultural component to it for sure. Yeah, and so there's, you know, there's lots of different, Um, if you just like look this up online, there's so many different opinions on what could help. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting because we see so much of this, of these mass shootings in in schools. And so, um, and, and by students in the schools, young people are really at a risk for being victims of this crime. Um, some of the things that you're seeing that some people are saying are just, you know, how do you address it at that level? How do you address it when you notice a teen who is isolating and maybe is being bullied and um, is not doing so well in school and, um, you know, is getting into a lot of trouble and things like that. They're making threats to their peers or threats online you know, are we taking this serious? Are we getting this person the help they need before it becomes a major issue? And by help they that they need, I don't mean because of their mental illness. I mean, because something is going on with them um, that's building up, building up to this. So nobody else can see this, but um, Emily's cat is sitting on her chest right now. And- Let me deal with this real quick. Totally. Myself for a second. Yeah, go <laughs> totally blocking her, but she's very pretty. Um, 
I guess I guess Diva has a lot to say about this. Okay. <laughs> that's what happens. Um, that's what happens. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. What were you saying? No, I mean, that's kind of like, that was kind of the end of it. I didn't know if you had uh, anything to say about that, of addressing it. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, so, okay. This is reminding me of, uh, it, it's so sad that I don't even remember which mass shooting it was. Um, because there are so have been so many, so, they, yeah, no. yeah, there was a mass shooting and it was, uh, it was when there were walkouts happening in schools and, and there was this, Hmm. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like it was like yeah. a um, a lot of students were organizing walkouts, like as a protest, uh-huh. and um, then some people were saying, "Don't walk out, walk up, walk up to the lonely kid, walk up to the kid right. that is usually like bullied or doesn't have a lot of friends, because those are the people that end up being the mass shooters. And if you walk up to them and are nice to them and friendly to them." they won't uh shoot you Mm -hmm. and um there was a lot of talk about how that was very victim blaming and it was very like putting the um blame on peers and putting the putting the uh the burden where it shouldn't belong like of course you should be nice to people and welcoming to people and talk to the person that doesn't seem to have a lot of friends, but it should be because it's a nice thing to do. Not because if you don't do it, you're going to risk being shot by them. Um, so I think that I do agree with what you're saying. I think it needs to be done in a very like, First, I don't think that any burden should be put on the kids whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. It is not It is not the children's job. It is the adults in their life yeah, that I should be doing this. Adults, to be, mm-hmm. adults at schools and at home need to be given signs to look for. Um, I don't even think it should be like, I think it should just be for general mental health reasons, which is another problem or mental health slash um you know all all of the possible causes that we're discussing like those sorts of things in general Mm -hmm. are things that we need to increase awareness of and learn about how to recognize in people and how to treat it so I do think there needs to be an increase in that I think that the I don't, I don't know if necessarily the goal behind it should be to prevent mass shootings because that's just, it's just so much more complex than that. And it, it needs to, I I don't know. It just, it needs to, it needs to start from a different, that's just such a, such a strong burden to be placed on school officials. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Cause we are asking them already to do a lot. Um, but I, it's not just the school, you know, and it's like you said, it's parents, it's local law enforcement. They need to, you know, if someone is making a report, like my son is, you know, buying these things online that to build a bomb, like, why are we not taking that seriously? Um, 
Yes. Yeah. So those things. Yeah. I guess the, the things like, oh, this kid is lonely and doesn't ever talk to anyone or have friends. Those are not things that we should see. We should have to see as red flags for mass shooter. Buying right. a bunch of bombs. Yes. Well, yeah. right. But I think you, you, cause you have to take the whole thing into context. If someone is just like a loner, okay. That maybe that's just them. If someone is a loner and also yeah, does mm-hmm. these other things like making threats to their peers or, um, you know, being violent in school, getting in trouble a lot, um, using drugs, um, maybe there's a, you know, um, maybe they're not doing well academically, like those sorts of things all together are, are really part of the profile of like, okay, this could go a couple ways, but why are we not reaching out to these kids? We being adults reaching out to kids like this and maybe hopefully changing the trajectory, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, So it's just, I think everyone wants to blame. There's always something to blame, right? Like with the Columbine shooting, it was uh, the whole like satanic panic um, where it was like, oh, it's because they're Satanist. And then it was like, oh, because it's heavy metal music. Oh, because it's video games. Oh, because it's, you know, being bullied online and like there, it's always something that they're now it's mental illness. It's all these different things. Um, but one thing that has been common in the, in these trends is the mass shootings, whether there's been heavy metal music involved or their own religious beliefs um, or even, you know, pre internet, pre video games, these were still happening. So we need to look at what those, what those similarities are and what can a community do to help those individuals and to maybe reduce these incidents from happening. Cause I do think it, it's one of those things that becomes a, a community thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making good sense. But yeah, like we said, we're not, we're not experts on this, obviously. And I'm sure that, and if anyone is really interested in this, then I do suggest that they kind of do their own research. And um, I'm sure there's lots of podcasts out there right now talking about this because it's just an event that is happening so much. Um, And I, I think that um, just to reiterate a point I made earlier, like clearly, because you and I both have, you know, like, like we said, we're not experts, but we've been following the news Mm -hmm. and we've been like, we're generally knowledgeable on these things. And we've been reading and, um, we still haven't come up like we don't know the answer. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the answer? What causes, what causes mass shootings? Okay. So the, the, some of the characteristics that I listed, this hopelessness, the, like the, all we have are the correlations. There's the, the right. bigotry piece, the, mm. um, you know, hopelessness, grievances toward a specific, uh, specific people, work, finances, groups of people, like we said, back to the bigotry piece, feeling victimized. Okay, so 
but what is the like what is the it's very complex basically Mm -hmm. the root cause is very complex and 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 the way we address it is going to probably be as equally complex be complex but in the meantime people are dying Mm -hmm. so we need we need to create a short-term and a long-term plan Mm -hmm. um which brings which brings us back to having more legislation around control of firearms um the specific legislation is not on topic for this episode um but uh just want to reiterate that point that I, I i feel very strongly that we need given how complex the root of the problem is we need a short and a long-term plan yeah yeah we need to stop we need to do something immediately to stop the bleeding mm-hmm. you know and then we also need to address the issue mm-hmm. and um yeah so it can be it can be handled from both ways and we are not politicians and we are not big into policy specifically. So no, we don't have all the answers. I certainly don't. Um, but there are people out there working on this and studying these things and advocating for this who do know what they're talking about. And and if anyone wants, anyone hearing hearing this wants to um, do a, a sequel episode and mm-hmm. wants to uh, about policy specifically that could help. Yeah. Um, I, I would be interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that would be good because we're, we're talking about the issues, but we don't have any real alternatives to offer, except mm-hmm. we know it's going to take, you know, they say it takes a village. It does. It's going to be a community thing and it's also going to be a legislative thing as well. So it, it's going to have to come from, from every angle because it is so complex. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Should we wrap up for today? (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, that's our show. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with friends and family. And don't forget to follow the show's Instagram for updates on new episodes at Just Mental Health Podcast. That is with a period between each word. We record a new episode every week. This is Steph. And M signing off. Thanks for listening.